Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we will see your glory here. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for that promise of your word that says as we uh, gather, as we come together in your name, Lord Jesus, you're in the midst. Thank you for all the ways you've been speaking to us and touching our hearts as these truths that uh, are so familiar to some of us and so completely new to others kind of come to life as we share and worship together. So as we come to your word, dear Lord, we pray that we may uh, just see your glory there too and then know your glory here in our lives in this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today then, it's the last one in the Open Heart, Open Word series, often referred to as Open Mic, although that's, um, you know, more a comedy club uh, thing, I think. But anyway, but the sense is that it's an opportunity for, uh, you know, people to to come and share, as Lou said, what's on our our heart, something the Lord has given us. And uh, today uh, I'm going to be sharing on this, this subject of simply following Jesus. It's been on my heart for a few weeks now, and uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to share it, and we'll see where we go with it. I don't know why it's been there. Partly, it could be an age and stage of life thing, um, that uh, sometimes as you get older, you realize that it's perhaps more simple than you thought. Um, more complicated in one way, but more simple in other ways. Some of the, the basics become very important. Also with conversations we've had in, you know, uh, house group leaders get together with elders sometimes and, and we share and talk and, and in our cluster uh, that we've been talking, uh, it also comes out of that. Um, anyone here seen um, The Crystal Maze? Yeah, yeah, you're watching it in its revived form? Yeah, yeah, we watched it with the kids in, what was it, the 80s or 90s when it first came around, and it's back. We don't watch it with the kids now because they're no longer at home and not, neither are they kids, but you know what I mean. Uh, you, if you haven't seen it before, it's a, a, a game show in which teams of people have to do tasks against a a clock against time to gain a crystal and there are various tasks they can do. And the task can be quite simple really. Um, but often people fail because they make it too complicated. There's one in the future zone. I don't know whether you've seen this where uh, the task is quite simply you come into this room and, and it's covered with balls, you know, little balls or, or, or tennis size balls on the floor. And there are like five colors and around the room are five tubes that suck them up. And all the contestant has to do is get the balls and put them up and, and so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, some people make that very complicated. Some people do it very simply. Uh, and you tend to, uh, you know, their, their teammates are trying to encourage them, in inverted commas, and they get confused. And if you're really into the show like I am, sometimes you also try and encourage them through the TV, you know. And, um, yeah, it should be very simple, but it comes, becomes very complicated. I'm actually someone myself who tends to sometimes make simple things more complicated than they need be. I find that sometimes when I'm telling anecdotes, that's why I can't tell those kind of jokes. Um, and it comes out in my cooking sometimes as well. 
Uh, my dad, one Christmas, or years ago, came up to our house with a chicken, <laughs> a dead chicken he'd bought in the market in Fairham at a bargain basement price. Uh, and uh, we already had a chicken. It was Christmas after all. So I thought I'd do something special with the chicken. So I, you know, so not, not, not just roast it. I tried to kind of bone it. I never tried that before. That was interesting. Uh, spread it out on a thing. And I thought, I know what this chicken needs is lemon. I don't know why, but I put lemon with the chicken. We roasted it in the oven, put some onions on it. We took it out. It tasted like it had been marinated in some kind of lemon toilet cleaner. It was absolutely disgusting. Okay. How difficult is it to put a chicken in the oven? Simple thing. Well, I made it complicated and nobody ate any of that chicken. Fortunately, actually, perhaps we were protected from a dodgy chicken from a dubious source. Uh, through that way. We were looking at 1 Thessalonians, weren't we, earlier on in the year, a few months ago. Remember that? Do you remember it? Anyone remember it? How long had the Thessalonians been Christians, do you think? Anyone remember that? Was it very long? Over a year? Probably not. Six to nine months, possibly? We don't really know. But as we read it, we saw that they were very new believers. And they read the letter, or the letter was read out to them in their community. Did they need someone to analyze it to them? Did they need someone to explain it? To tell it, tell them what it meant? I guess they were just listening to it. So they were just six to nine months in their Christian faith. And the, book, the letter to the Thessalonians made sense to them. Perhaps we make things more complicated. At a seminar in New Wine, one of the speakers came up with this question when talking about another passage in the New Testament. He said, well, who was in the room when it was read, when it was first understood? And it was a good question. I think of the Thessalonians. Who was in the room? And maybe we've got into a way of seeing the Christian life as about needing to know a lot of stuff. So we read a lot and we think we must listen to as much preaching as possible. We've got to get lots of Bible teaching. We've got to get more and more stuff. We've got to know more and more stuff in our heads. Uh, I've kind of been like that all my life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, if providing that that's not all it is. But sometimes it can be. And then I remember meeting someone. Uh, I went to Nepal once and met Christians there who could barely read. Uh, some of them were leprosy patients, didn't have any hands, and they were older uh, believers, and they simply trusted Jesus. Or, or you meet some other Christians in other parts of the world, or you hear the stories. What about those Egyptian Christians who, uh, you know, stood up and ISIS guys wanted to, them to just say, just say Jesus doesn't matter to you, and we won't cut your heads off. And they all died, didn't they? I don't know how much they knew. I don't know whether they mean to theology college. I don't know whether they kind of signed any doctrinal basis or I don't know what they knew. But I suspect they were just regular, ordinary Egyptian believers who loved Jesus and weren't going to let someone diss him. Perhaps it's more simple, is it? Or I've been reading this book. It's a really great book called Dirty Glory. 
It's the story of the second half of the story of the 24-7 prayer movement. There's a, a chapter in there, if you, I highly recommend it. There's a chapter in here called Boys Town, and it's a story about one of the leaders of the 24-7 movements in um, Mexico or on the border between Mexico and the U.S. And there's a story there of a man called Kilo. You can imagine why that was his nickname. He was a drug dealer. He was a pimp. He ran these houses, of, and, and he was like a really hard case and the, uh, the, the story is told of how the woman who's gone there to work meets Kilo eventually has a conversation gives him a John's gospel prays for him a few months later less than six months later he's actually killed sorry it's a bit of a spoiler alert but it is only one story in the book and uh, Kelly the lady who gave him the John's gospel and had you know, thought well you know what, what happened? Will I ever see Kilo again? And uh, lots of other things happened. And she found out from others. She said, Kilo, you know that John's gospel? He was reading it all the time. He wouldn't stop telling us about Jesus. He went on about Jesus all the time. And the things he was learning. Now, he was still a drug dealer. He still was managing several um, brothels. So, you know, it was complicated and crazy. But... How complicated was it for him to start following Jesus? Perhaps we make it more complicated than it need be. So I got to thinking, it's got to be more simple sometimes than churches like ours have made it. And can we get back to that? And if so, where are we going to find it? And I'd like us to look into two things this morning to rediscover Firstly, what's at the core of being a Christian? What's at the very core of our life in Jesus? And then how could we help one another grow in those simple ways? Now, I'm not saying we need to ignore all the stuff we know or stop listening to messages or stop reading Christian books or all of that. There's nothing wrong with that at at all. In fact, it's a good thing to do. But let's also embrace the truth that there's a simple, basic, livable foundation to Christian living that we must never lose touch with. A livable, basic, foundational, simple way just to follow Jesus. And to find it, I want us to go back to where the disciples began their life as Jesus followers in a new way. It's after the resurrection, and it's as he's preparing them for the next phrase. It's in Matthew 28, and it's on page 1,000, uh, page 1,000 of the Bibles nearby. So why not uh, turn it up, and we'll read it now. Just a few verses, really. Very well-known verses to many of us, I'm sure, but not to all of us, I'm sure. So verse 16 of Matthew 28, you remember there were 12 disciples, now there are 11 because uh, Judas betrayed Jesus and is no longer a member of the group. So when the, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples were told to meet Jesus. It's in Galilee. It's after the resurrection. They obviously took a trip to Galilee. He told them he'd meet them there. We know from other parts of the New Testament that he spent 40 days with them, uh, teaching them, and they ended up before the ascension just outside Jerusalem. Remember, we, we were looking a few uh, at the end of John's Gospel at that account of when they went fishing. That was in Galilee at probably around the same time. It's a mountain that he's told to meet them at, and that's significant, but we won't go into that right now. But think about mountains in the Bible. Think about mountains of uh, things in the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to follow that through. They see Jesus from a distance, and some are, are, are just simply overwhelmed to see him. It says that they worshipped. Others aren't so sure. <laughs> it said they, they doubted. They couldn't quite get their heads around what was going on? And it says to them, uh, when, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, it says. He deliberately comes right to where they are, the, the worshipping ones and the doubting ones. Jesus comes right there. The same phrase, incidentally, is used in Matthew's Gospel. Do you remember when Peter was sinking beneath the waves? You know, he started walking on the water and he starts to go down uh, and it says Jesus came to him. And reached out his hand. It's that kind of same idea. Jesus comes to them and meets them where they are. In worship or in doubt, he comes. And there's an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with the king. They see him. They realize who he is. That's why they're worshipping. They've got it already, probably most of them. But he tells them anyway. He says, I've been, been given all authority. He's the king. At his birth in Matthew's gospel, what were the wise men looking for? The one who's born king of the Jews. You see it all through Matthew's gospel. All through it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And in the other gospels, the same phrase is used, but it's the kingdom of God there. He's talking about God's kingdom and the one who was going to bring that reign, that kingdom rule of God in, and that was Jesus. He says that of himself explicitly and implicitly many times through the gospel. Remember what the temptations, Satan took him and again to another mountain, interestingly, and, and said, look, you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you want. They're mine to give you. Something, incidentally, Jesus didn't argue with at that point, that fact or that idea. And then Jesus, uh, he said, there's just one thing. If you just worship me, you can have them all. Jesus said, I don't worship you. I worship God. And now... Through the cross and the resurrection, he's the king of heaven and earth. No longer is Satan ruling in that way. It's no longer his to give. It's Jesus because he's been given all authority. He's king over everything. That is where the disciples start. And isn't that how we start in our Christian experience, really? 
when it first begins to dawn on us that Jesus is the king, that he is the Lord who is encroaching on my life. And the disciples accept that. They welcome him. They worship, even though some still had doubts. And I think that if you go back into the story of any Christian, there will be times, uh, there will certainly be a time, probably more than one time, near the very beginning when they first knew that Jesus was the king and he was beginning to kind of encroach on their lives. Encountering the king, responding to him. Sometimes it's more than once because it's often a journey. It might be you prayed in an alpha course. It may be you prayed using try praying. It may be you were just in a, in a state and prayed. It may be that something happened and you thought, woo, you know, Jesus, there's something about Jesus here. can be for many different reasons. For me, I remember when I was a child, a very young child, uh, I went to a little kind of uh, a meeting, uh, a guy was speaking, and I just remembered, in just uh, um, you know, something happened in me. I knew this was for me. It was a very, I don't know how old I was. I was certainly under 10, maybe 7 or 8 or, or, uh, or younger. Later as a teenager, I, I had a similar encounter when I knew that, yeah, Jesus was real, and he was, he was wanting me to follow him, and I had to go with it or not. There's that encounter. And then Jesus goes on <clears throat> to tell them that there's going to be a movement. They will be going, he says. He says, therefore go. Actually, the, the, the kind of original is saying, you're going to be going. They're going. You're mobile. And as you go, I want you to be doing something. There's this kind of movement there. They will be going. And the point of their going the point of their living, the point of everything else that they're going to be doing is that other people might become disciples as well. He says it's for everyone, for every ethnic group, every nation. He said every people group on the earth. He said they need to become disciples. And as you go, the point is that others are going to become followers of me, says Jesus. That's what I want you to do. That's what, what's going to happen. And how is that going to happen? He said, well, as people recognize Jesus as king and respond to him. Because he says, you go and baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those people are baptized. Those people who, like the disciples, see Jesus as king and Lord, become kind of connected to him. They, they commit to him. They, they kind of welcome his reign in their lives. And baptism is the sign of a life that's been touched by Jesus and connected to him. Baptism is a sign of that, that trust, that faith in Jesus. And when you're baptized, it kind of, uh, kind of writes it deep into your, your, your being. That's why if, you have not, if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you're really missing something. It's the sign of, you know, and it's like a sign like communion. It's, it's just water and stuff, but, but it's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm connected to Jesus. It talks about being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. People, when we trust Jesus, we're in touch with the living God. And when we're baptized, we're kind of saying, yeah, God is in my life. I'm living with Jesus. I want God to be my king. I'm loyal to him. 
You know, when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke, the Son was obedient, and the Holy Spirit kind of fell out of heaven onto Jesus. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are involved in Jesus' baptism, and when we're baptized, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The point is that knowing the King means that the life of God has touched me. And baptism, if you like, is the trust, the sign of life. The sign of a life trusting God. The trust sign, if you like. And that's why you need to be baptized. It's the sign, the symbol of faith, of loyalty, of commitment. A bit like marriage. That's why people get married, because there's a commitment. Getting baptized is a bit like that, as far as kind of following. Jesus is concerned, it's saying, yeah, I'm in. (laughs) I'm committed. I'm not ashamed of it. I want people to know. And what I'm doing when I get baptized is reflecting what's gone on in my heart and life. That's why it's so important. So encounter with Jesus, knowing him, that's pretty core, isn't it? It means that Jesus, if I'm a disciple, it means that Jesus is my king. It means that I'm ruled by Jesus. Now, how complicated is that? I don't think that's very complicated. Do I know that? Am I a worshipper? Am I someone who, who, who knows that Jesus is the king in my life? He's my Lord. Have I welcomed him into that? Have I responded to him? The first kind of part of it. The core. Jesus is Lord. He's my king. So I've got it up there. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And what happens next for these people who become disciples as they uh, uh, hear their disciples kind of speaking to them? Well, Jesus goes on to say they get baptized and then he says, teach them to obey everything. They get taught to actually observe is a better word. Older translations use it and more accurate translation use it as well. You see, the disciples learned to live Jesus' way didn't they? He taught them how to live his way. That's what the Gospels are full of. That kind of instruction. And that's what happens to the rest of us. Same thing. Now, command, when it says, you know, to, to obey, obey, it sounds quite kind of heavy, doesn't it? Like, you must obey. <laughs> you know, it's what I've got to do. Obedience, rules, you know, that kind of commandment. The idea is actually not kind of, oh, you know, got to obey. It's observe. It's actually to keep. It's saying, yeah, I will, I will obey, but I'm obeying because I welcome, this is the life I want to live. I want to do what Jesus says. I want to live Jesus' way. And I'm obeying because he's my king and I love him. And I'm kind of welcoming his way of life into my experience welcoming and learning a a new way of life because he's the king he's going to shape my life so here's the second thing a disciple is shaped by Jesus we learn to live his way but that's not something that's just in your head says Jesus to the disciples because he goes on right at the end to say I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Just a little note, by the way. 
Matthew's gospel begins with saying, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It ends by Jesus saying, I am with you always. Neat, isn't it? I am with you always, says Jesus. So it's not just about something in our heads. It's not just about doing the right thing. Jesus promises to be with us. And again, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? His presence with disciples as we learn to live for him. He's the king who lives in people who love him. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit came on, the, on, on these disciples a few chapters later in the Bible, a few weeks or days later, the Holy Spirit came and Jesus was with them in a new and different and living way. And it's been the same for every other believer ever since. And the church's kind of life is Jesus with us by the Spirit. So a disciple then is someone who lives with Jesus. Encountering the king, ruled by Jesus, shaped by Jesus, learning to observe his teaching, going on in life, sharing that with others, because we live with Jesus. Now, could we help each other grow in those ways? Think about that in about five minutes I've got. Well, you know, it's really got to be done with others. It's not something that you can easily do on your own. Of course, if you have to, you can, if there's no option. But generally, we need one another in this. All this is plural. Jesus is talking to disciples as a group. He's not saying you go off individually and sit in the cubicle and, you know, kind of become a disciple on your own. Yeah, if you did that, how would anyone else? How could you make any other disciples for one thing? But it's all about living together in his way. And the assumption is that as we go, others will see Jesus and others will want to learn to live his life and to know his presence and to know and follow him as as king because that's what we do. And they know us and they've seen us or we tell them and that's what happens. The rest of the New Testament is really clear. It's done together. That's how the disciples learned it in the first place. Jesus didn't kind of say, right, I'm going to do a tutorial. Uh, at nine o'clock, I'm going to spend time with Peter. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll chat for an hour. And, and John, I've fitted you in for 10 o'clock. And uh, uh, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, because, um, you know, he's last on the list. You'll be, you know, Thursday week, you know, at six o'clock in the morning. No, no, it was something they, they were there together with one another the whole time learning together it's a corporate thing so what about places where our lives intersect where maybe we meet together with a few friends we have coffee i was talking to jez perry about this jez i was in strasbourg visiting the perry family this week and i was talking to jez because that's one of the things he was telling me about a book on discipleship which the translation in french is coffee a bible and discipleship and uh, he was saying about, about, about this book. The idea that, you know, we can have a coffee with someone, we can talk, and we can help one another grow. Discipleship means b- 
being disciples and growing in that. And I wonder whether we could take these three areas and talk about them. So we could talk about encountering the king. We could talk to one another. We could ask one another, okay, how are we doing with this, this idea that Jesus is my king? Uh, are, are you, are, is worshipping easy for me at the moment or for you or is it a bit of a problem? Um, is it easy to acknowledge Jesus as king at the moment because of what's going on in my life? Or is it really difficult? What kind of king is Jesus? There's a lot about that in the Gospels. You know, actually those stories that we saw are about what the kingdom is like and how it works, what it means to live with the king. You could, you know, you could ask each other and tell each other and talk to each other about that. Are there areas where I just want to hold on to things? I don't want Jesus to be king in this area because he might want me to do something that I quite like doing. We could talk about that. Over a coffee with another Christian, a brother, a brother, a sister. Or even better, with maybe a couple of others. Growing in what it means to be ruled by Jesus as my king. What about learning from the king? Could we talk about that together sometimes? Jesus is our teacher, so how am I doing in, you know, growing in what Jesus says? Or what about living with the king? Jesus is with us always. So uh, have I seen him lately with me in my life or through me or in others around me? Have I been spotting his nudges or his encouragement to, to say something or to do something or to pray something? Knowing Jesus as my friend. See, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my friend. All authority, learning to observe what he commanded, he's with us always. Could we help each other like this? You know, it's not a curriculum with loads of stuff to learn, get in our heads. It's more like some paths to walk along together. And we could do this in groups of two or three with friends who want to grow. That's the thing. It's about people coming together, all of you wanting to grow. It is definitely not one person being ahead of the other one saying, come and be like me. It's where every, you know, two people, as I say, I think it's probably better with three, sit together and say, okay, together, we all want to grow. Yeah, we may know we may be better at some things than others. We may know more than others in some ways. But the key thing is, together we're on the same level here. We want to to, to encourage one another about how how we're doing with Jesus as our Lord, Jesus as our teacher, Jesus as our friend. Do you think we could try that? Be something, wouldn't it? You just do that. Maybe only talk about one of those things. Spend half an hour, pray for one another, remember what you you know, remember what you prayed for when you get together in a three or four weeks' time and see how you did. And then ask each other, Well, how about what have I been learning? How's Jesus been my teacher in the last week or two? I think I'm gonna stop there. You could um, I was gonna say I was gonna flip into Matthew five and look briefly and say, Well, Take some verses. You could try this yourself at home. See if it works. Although it's better, as I say, in a few people. But, you know, if you almost open the Gospels anywhere and ask the question, 
Jesus, my Lord, what's that mean here? How's that, you know, going here and out there? Jesus, my teacher, what's he telling me here? Jesus, my friend, Jesus, the king, my Lord, and so on. Disciples encounter Jesus as king, are learning from Jesus as teacher, and love Jesus as closest friend. That's not that complicated, is it? Really? Okay, it can work out in in complicated ways. But at the heart of it, it's following him. If you're interested in, uh, uh, I'm thinking of putting a a little kind of resource or two together around these three simple kind of ways of looking at this. If anyone's interested, uh, watch this, not this space, but watch a space somewhere and we'll put something online if you wanted to try it with a few friends or or in, in, as you meet in, in clusters. But Jesus, my Lord, my teacher, my friend. Let's pray that we know him better and better together for his glory.